Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hello and welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I'm going to be your host today. Today we are going to finish up part two uh, to my case study on this 2014 Infiniti Q70. This was a no-crank, no-start vehicle that had been purchased from an auction and found out that it was in a flood at some point. It's a 2014, only has 23,000 miles on it. And in the last episode, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you haven't checked it out, Listen to that one first, and this will make a little bit more sense where we're at. But to recap, where we were at was, again, this thing was a no-crank. There was absolutely no operation of the starter motor when you go to hit the start button. This is a push-button start vehicle. So you have the remote that's in your pocket or in your hand or in the cup holder, and then you just put your foot on the brake and you press the uh, ignition button, if you want to call it that, or the start button, and the ignition should turn on and the engine should crank over and start. Well, the ignition actually does turn on in this case, which we discovered in the first episode means that the immobilizer system appears to be working correctly, that the vehicle recognizes the key that is present, that it's in the vehicle, and that it belongs to that vehicle, and so it's powering up the ignition. But when we hit the start button, nothing happens. And through a lot of messing around and digging and researching, I ended up finding out that the IPDM, Intelligent Power Distribution Module, which is under the hood and next to the battery, was replaced at some point. Again, flood car, auction, who knows who's been messing around with this thing. It wasn't the shop that it was at, but some shop, someone, had replaced this component. Maybe it got wet. Uh, Maybe they were trying to fix another problem. I don't know at this point, but it was replaced. And even though it plugged in, even though it had all the right fuses, this was not the correct IPDM for this vehicle. This was actually for a vehicle. What it Googles as, as far as the part number, lists under a 2013 Infiniti M37. So same engine, different vehicle. But the code that we found in the control modules indicating that it was seeing a fault for the steering column lock position. And that code was a hard fault. It would reset every time. And because of that, at least I'm expecting, that it's not going to operate the starter because this vehicle actually doesn't have a steering column lock. There's just not an option for a 2014 Infiniti Q70 to have a steering column lock. Now, this is an electric lock that would lock the steering column unless you have the you know proper key and all the, the immobilizer system is satisfied it will unlock the steering wheel well this system does not have that this vehicle doesn't have that as an option so the IPDM is looking for something that doesn't exist and so it's going to set that code and it's not going to operate the starter so I told the shop let's get the proper IPDM for this vehicle install it and we'll see what happens so after they install this I leave and I tell them, get this part, put it in. After they install it, it is a crank, start, and stall, which means the starter actually does activate. Good. We've made progress. The engine starts for a brief period of time. 
another good sign, but it seems to immediately stall. And it doesn't matter what they do with the throttle, this happens every single time. So we've made progress, but it's obviously not running just yet, so we need to dig into it. And today is going to be the conclusion of what I go back to find, you know, is this still an immobilizer issue? What else is going on with this vehicle? So um, before we get into that, I did just want to share a quick story. Uh, When we were talking about push button starts uh, last week and how those operate, I uh, was just sort of reminded of a story of a (laughs) funny event that happened while I was working at Firestone. So this was a number of years ago when push button starts were just getting popular, at least in the aftermarket. You know, push button starts have been around for quite a while. Obviously, this is a 2014, but we were really starting to see them a lot. Eh, This is probably about five, six years ago. And what would happen, and this happened more than once. Heck, I think I even did this at one time or another. So at Firestone, you have a ticket bag. It's a plastic bag that you have the ticket in it. And what you're supposed to do is put the keys in the ticket bag hang it up on the hook, and then the service rider takes care of it from there. That's the general procedure, okay? And usually on a blade-style key, you're, you're actually rotating the ignition to turn it on and off. And so when you turn off the vehicle, you rotate the lock cylinder back, take the key out, put it in the bag, hang it up, you're good to go. Well, in a push-button start, you're not putting the key into the ignition like we always have been for decades. And so where are you putting this key? Well, you should be leaving it in the ticket bag. That's what our procedure ended up being, was make sure you leave these remotes. This is really all they are. It's a key, but it's a remote in the ticket bag. Don't take it out of there. The vehicle will start, and that way it doesn't end up happening like this story, this vehicle. So what would happen is we'd take the keys out of the bag just because that's our habit. That's what we're used to. And we'd realize, oh, we don't actually put this into the lock cylinder because there is none. We press the start button on the dash, and then we set those keys somewhere in the vehicle, maybe in the cup holder, maybe on the seat. Okay, great. Then you go to pull the vehicle out, and you grab the ticket bag, you hang it up, but you never grab the keys out of the vehicle. Now, most vehicles with a push-button start will have some sort of indicator. If you've shut the ignition off, keys are still in the vehicle, the antennas detect this, the doors open, there's some sort of alarm or buzzer to indicate that, hey, dummy, you left the keys in the car. But even with that, you know, mistakes happen. And so this this happened a couple times when we were first getting used to push-button starts. I even did it myself once. I left the keys in the cup holder of the vehicle, hung the ticket bag up, service writers, where's the keys? Oh, shoot, I left them in the car. So there's the... There's the mistake that happens. Now, where this happened, it was one of our lube techs was doing an oil change on a Toyota with a push-button start. And so he does exactly what I just described. He does the service, does the oil change, pulls the vehicle out, and he leaves the keys in the cup holder for this Toyota. And he hangs up the ticket, and the service rider grabs the ticket bag. Now, here's where there's some more breakdown. Communication is key in a shop. You got to communicate, otherwise (laughs) things really go south. So the service writer grabs the ticket bag with no keys in it and sees a set of keys that were sitting on the service desk close to where this ticket was. And for whatever reason, maybe it was maybe the keychain looks similar, I, I, or maybe he just decided these were the keys. He's like, oh, these must be the keys for this ticket, tosses them in the ticket bag. So now our Toyota ticket has the wrong keys. These are actually keys to an Audi. <laughs> it's a key fob, but it's for a completely different vehicle. So customer comes to pick up their Toyota. Service rider grabs the ticket, 
grabs the keys that are in there, hands these keys to the customer, charges them for the oil change. See ya, have a nice day. Customer apparently does not look closely at these keys that she's handed, puts them in her purse like she normally does, hops in the car, presses the start button, and the vehicle starts because her keys are actually in the cup holder, but she has someone else's keys in her (laughs) purse. Drives off, drives home, and, you know, at, at least at the moment doesn't realize that, you know, anything's wrong, that she has the wrong set of keys. Well, customer with the Audi later that day comes to pick up their vehicle, and, oh, guess what? We can't find the keys. They are gone. And the service writer had no idea that he put the wrong keys in the ticket bag or that he gave the wrong keys to the customer. So it ended up being a huge mess that, uh, you know, we, we had to work through and figure out, okay, what happened here? We call this lady. We look like idiots. <laughs> hey, um, you know, do you have the wrong keys? <laughs> and uh, she did and she brought them back and it was all good. But just to, it, I always think of that story when I think about push button starts. That's the the story that comes to mind. So I thought I'd share it with everybody here because I think it's it was it was humorous after the fact, even though we looked like complete idiots to both customers. Uh, the, the customer that took the wrong keys actually felt kind of silly too that she didn't look at the keys that she was handed. Uh, but, you know, her vehicle started, so those must have been the correct keys. Anyways, uh, enough with that. Let's get into the actual case study here on our infinity and how we resolved this one. So I go back to the shop and again, and like I mentioned, this is a start and stall. So it starts, runs, and stalls. Now, if you've worked on vehicles in the past 20 years, you've probably run into an immobilizer situation where you have a start-stall situation because of the immobilizer. The engine will actually start for a brief period of time, maybe a second and a half, two seconds, and then it will immediately stall. Regardless of what you do with the throttle or anything else, it will stall every time. Now, generally there will be some sort of security indicator flashing or illuminated on the dash to indicate to you or the customer that this is an immobilizer issue. So I'm wondering, is that what we have going on here? Do we have an immobilizer issue happening? Now, if we go back to all the information that we talked about last week with the immobilizer, this should not be the case with this vehicle because if there's a mobilizer issue this thing should not even crank if it doesn't recognize that key it's not even going to turn the ignition on and hit the starter but in this case it is so i'm not really thinking that this is an immobilizer issue still could be maybe there's something going on with the engine computer that doesn't like that you know it's not driving with the rest of the immobilizer stuff i don't know that yet but it's in the back of my mind but let's verify the complaint let's see what's going on and you know let's see what we have for codes because obviously that's going to be an important thing to check as well see what the codes are so i scan uh, the vehicle for codes and again this thing's a flood vehicle so there's a lot of codes there's communication codes which were still questionable as to what was going on but the control modules that i couldn't communicate with didn't really seem to be important to vehicle operation as far as engine goes. And that's all the shop wanted. They wanted this thing to run. And that was it. We're not solving every single problem with this flood car, thankfully, but they want it to drive. They want it to move. That's their goal for their customer. So uh, I'm going to check the big players again. And one of them that I want to check for sure is the engine control module. And he's got the code that I'm looking for, the code that we're, I'm going to chase because uh, this ended up being the issue. It is a P2101, so 2101. This code says 
Electronic Throttle Control Performance Bank 1. So, uh, what does that mean? And I did check this code. It's a hard fault. Every time you clear it and start the engine and let it, you know, basically start, stall, this code resets. And so I'm thinking, okay, I got to chase this. I got to figure out what's going on. So, this vehicle has electronic throttle control like most vehicles nowadays. But the unique part about this vehicle is it actually has two throttle motors. It has two throttles. So it's a V6 engine and there's actually an electric throttle on each bank. So P2101 actually indicates bank one, which is the passenger side. This is a conventionally mounted engine in a rear wheel drive vehicle. Okay. So we're on the passenger side throttle motor, which is attached to the intake manifold for bank one. That's our code. Now, what does this code mean? This is their description in Infinity Service Information is electronic throttle control function does not operate properly. And again, this is for bank one. We're not setting one for bank two. So at least I know which throttle to go for. And under possible causes, it says harness connectors, throttle motor circuit is open or shorted, electronic throttle control actuator. So by looking at this, I'm guessing this has to do with the actual motor circuit. Now, is this a circuit code? Uh, is it a performance code? I'm not 100% sure yet, but at least I have you know some direction to go. But my other question is, is this causing my start stall or is it unrelated? Now, could a throttle plate not moving cause a start stall, especially if it's only on one bank? I'm really not 100% on that. I mean, it could if the throttles were jammed closed. And remember, this thing hasn't run in a year you know, there'd be enough air in the intake to let it run for a short period of time. And then it would stall out once it basically suffocated, you know, there's no more air if the throttles weren't moving, but there's a passenger side bank. And you imagine just even one being open would enough to let this thing idle. Um, and so I'm not a hundred percent sure yet what's going on, but I've said this before, you know, when you have weird problems or multiple problems and you're not sure which direction to go, pick something that you can solve that you know you can find the answer to, even maybe sometimes if it doesn't seem like it's for sure related. I mean, if you know for sure it's not related, obviously you don't chase it. But in this case, I think it could be, and it's a hard fault. So I'm going after this thing. I'm committing to this code. I'm going to figure this out and see if this is the reason that my engine is not continuing to run. So I want to understand a little bit about this circuit and how this thing operates. The electric throttle is pretty similar to almost every other electric throttle setup that you've seen. And I'm kind of going to just zero in on the one bank, but do keep in mind there are two throttle motor actuators on this engine. So if we look at bank one and we look at the throttle motor, we have two wires going to the motor itself, and it's a reversible DC motor that can move the throttle in both directions. And it's controlled by the PCM or ECM with an H-bridge circuit, meaning that it can power or ground either wire, depending on the direction that it wants the motor to move. So if we want to open the throttle, you know, one wire is B plus and the other one's ground. If we want to move the throttle motor in the other direction, the wire that was B plus becomes a ground and the wire that was a ground becomes B plus. And that's how we operate that. So we can apply either positive or negative to either circuit, but there's only two wires going to the motor. In addition to that, we have two potentiometers that measure the position of the throttle blade itself. 
So we have basically dual sensors. The signal wires are going to start, one's going to start low, one's going to start high, and as the throttle moves, they'll move closer to each other and then in the opposite direction. So pretty standard setup, nothing special there as far as you know, how this thing operates in comparison to a normal throttle circuit. But there's a little bit more to it. If we look at the circuit, so we have those let's see, five wires going to the throttle motor. We also need to consider where the PCM gets the power for the throttle motor. Now what I mean by this is that the PCM sends power and ground directly to the throttle motor, but the PCM needs to get this power from somewhere else. It doesn't just create it out of nowhere. And a lot of vehicles, at least this one does, has a dedicated circuit to feed power into the control module in order to operate this throttle motor. Because it takes some decent amperage to move this throttle motor, it actually has a dedicated circuit, a power feed in, to provide power to the PCM to use for this throttle motor operation. And this power is fed in by a relay that's actually located within the IPDM, the throttle motor control relay. So this relay, which actually is activated by the ECM, so the ECM turns on a relay and sends power into itself in order to operate the throttle motors. Okay, so if there's no power on this wire, the PCM could you know, try to control the throttles all at once, but they'll never move. So looking at this circuit, I know that I need to check power in on this wire and check power out and seeing if it's going to the motor. Uh, maybe I'll check that first, but I want to understand the whole circuit. So looking at the diagram is important to understand this. And if you go through the code flowchart, which I'm not a big fan of code flowcharts, but for this P2101, it does indicate to you to check this relay circuit as well. Um, the code information doesn't really lay out exactly what this code's for. Again, if it's a circuit or performance code, but it is indicating something's going on with this motor. Something's not happening that should be happening here. So uh, I'm going to dig in and see what's going on. So there's a green wire and a brown wire that go from the ECM. I guess I'm bouncing back before between ECM and PCM, so I apologize for that. I mean the same thing, the engine computer. There's a brown and green wire that go from the ECM to the throttle control motor to move it. And so I back probe on those wires at the throttle itself and I start the vehicle up and I don't see anything on either wire. There's really nothing going on there. And I'm using a scope because the way that power and ground is applied to these is a very rapid on-off switching. It's pulse width modulated and it alternates depending on the direction they want that throttle to move or if they want the throttle to stay stationary. But I don't see anything going on. So immediately, okay, I want to check the power input from this relay from the IPDM, especially because we just replaced it and that relay is internal to the IPDM. So let's see what's going on there. I check the power feed into the ECM from this throttle control relay that's located within the IPDM, and I have no power there. Okay, so let's at least I got something to go with here. Why am I not getting power on this circuit? But before I dig too far into it, I do want to just clear these codes out of there and see if power returns. Because one of the things we have to consider if a circuit is dead, especially an output circuit of some sort or another, is it intentional shutdown by the PCM? Okay, there's a lot of strategy that goes into, you know, codes and module operation and circuits will be shut down intentionally 
in order to protect the computer, protect the components when something's not right. So if you have a code set, just consider that there are circuits that could be shut down. And I've run into this on, you know, relays and air conditioning compressors and heck, even fuel injectors when there's a misfire code. You can have intentional shutdown of circuits that is completely by design. So I don't want to blame the circuit before I rule out the fact that it could be intentional shutdown of this relay. Because again, the relay to provide power to the PCM is actually controlled by the PCM. It is, it is controlling power to itself basically through a relay. So my quick check is going to be again, now what I'm looking for here is there's a red wire. It actually changes colors on the diagram, but at the, at the PCM ECM, I'm looking for power. And actually I should say I was testing at the IPDM because it's under the hood and it was easier. I'm checking power out of the, the IPDM going to the ECM for the throttle motor control to red wire and I clear the codes and I start this thing up and I actually do get power output from this. Okay, so now this relay is working, but as soon as the engine starts and then stalls, now I do not have power out of this relay. And once I start it again, I have nothing. So once the code's present, it's like I suspected, there's an intentional shutdown of this circuit that it is not going to function because of the code's there because it's seeing a fault. Okay, all right. So now I need to figure out why it's still why it's setting this code, but at least I got a little bit more information here. I can at least say that the relay is okay and yeah, there's power getting to the ECM. I haven't gone there to check just yet, um, but I can I can go with this. I can run with this and look at this a little bit further. So at this point, I can at least do some testing after I clear codes and that's going to be the key here. So I'm utilizing the scan tool and I'm going to be connected with the scope and I'm going to see what happens before those codes are set so I can determine what's going on with this circuit. So I'm going to put my scope back on the brown and green wires at the throttle control motor. And so I'm back probed in the circuits. I'm at the throttle control motor, brown and green wires. One's positive, one's negative. They can alternate in between. I clear the codes and I start this thing up. And what I'm expecting to see is a rapid pulsing of power and ground on each wire. Now, when one wire is pulsed to positive or B plus, I expect to see the other wire at the same time pulled to ground. That, that would be my expectation. And when one's you know, when that one is pulled to ground, I would expect the other one to be powered, you know, a B plus because that's how any you know two-wire motor circuit works. We need to power on the ground. What I see is something a little different. I actually see the same signal on both wires. I see, and I'm referencing my scope to a ground, and so really all I'm going to see is voltage at this point. I'm not going to see a ground. A ground would be zero, but again, I'm just looking to see what's happening here. But what I see is both wires at the same time being pulsed up to 12 volts, which is not what we want to see. We do not want to see both wires going to positive at the same time. Imagine sending B plus on two wires to a light bulb. Nothing's going to happen. Same thing on this motor. So I think in my head, okay, well, this must be the issue. Um, now, th again, this is only a brief period of time I'm seeing this before the code sets, and then I have to clear the code and check it again. But again, I'm utilizing my scan tool, clearing the code, cycling the ignition, and looking at this for a short period of time with my scope before the code actually sets on this thing. So 
I need to ask myself, why am I seeing the same signal on both wires? Now, first thing is, are these shorted together? Or maybe is the motor shorted together? And I don't think that's the case because, again, I'm looking at this on the scope and I'm seeing it go up to 12 volts at the same time on both circuits, on both of my control wires. Now, if they were shorted together, let's say the both, both circuits were working, one was being pulled to ground, one was being pulsed to power, and they were shorted together, you wouldn't see a jump up to 12 volts. Actually, I don't know exactly what you would see, if anything, you know, you'd basically be shorting the two drivers together, which, and maybe there'd be a failsafe in that computer to shut down the circuit, but on a scope, I don't think you'd see a full 12-volt pulse in that case. So I don't think my wires are shorted together, and I could ohm check them just to see, but at this point, I really don't think that's the case. Now, what if I had an open circuit? So think about this. Power goes in from one wire into the motor, which is basically just the load, and then it comes out of the motor, all the voltage gets used up, and then it returns on the ground path. All right. So if I'm looking at the wires, I should see voltage on the B plus side, and I should see zero on the ground side of the circuit. There's no more resistance. We use up all the voltage. You should see a ground on that side of the circuit. But I'm seeing power on both sides. So what if that ground side of that circuit is open? If that ground side of the circuit is open, my power would go into the, the load, the resistance, but it's not really a load because you don't have any current flow because the circuit's open. So the voltage actually would come out the other side. You'd have voltage all the way to the open. A resistance in a circuit is not really resistance if you don't have a complete circuit. No current flow, no voltage drop. So that is a potential reason why I might be seeing the same signal on both circuits is that I have an open. But now my challenge is which wire is open because again I have two wires going to there now if this was a light bulb or just an on off motor that had power all the time on one and ground all the time on the other it'd be pretty easy to determine my challenge here is that these wires are pulsed one to power one to ground and then the other one can also be pulsed from power to ground and then the you know we can we can have power on both we can have ground on both so even though I know I have an open wire, I'm pretty confident that I have an open wire, and that's why I'm seeing the same signal on both circuits, because the voltage is just moving straight through the motor without dropping. I don't know which wire is open. So how am I going to determine this? Well, I guess I could just unplug the motor and front probe or back probe the connector with it unplugged. We're removing the, the resistance, and I'm just looking to see which wire has the pulsing and which one doesn't. That's it, right? So I do that. I try that. Well, once I disconnect that connector, I'm also disconnecting the potentiometers, the position sensors for the motor, and those circuit codes basically supersede anything else happening. As soon as you key this thing up, it sees those, those circuits without arranges, and it does not even attempt to move these throttles. It doesn't do anything. You don't get any pulse. You get nothing. You just get circuit codes for the potentiometers. So that's a, that's a limitation. And, you know, I can uh, I could ohm check between the computer and these wires to try to figure out which one's open. But what I decided to do was I jumped the three circuits, there's three or four circuits, I think it was actually four, for the potentiometers. So I jumped them from the connector. So I, I'll explain where I'm at again. I have the connector disconnected from my electronic throttle. I'm back probing the two motor control circuits, and I jumped 
the circuits for the potentiometer. So the potentiometer is still connected because what this thing does is when you start it up or you key it up, it actually is looking for, it pulses these motors, it moves the motors, and it's expecting to see a response from those potentiometers. So if the potentiometers aren't working, if it sees a circuit code, it's not even going to try the motor. But in our case, you know, when everything's plugged in, it's trying to move this motor. It's not moving. It doesn't see a response on the the potentiometer, so it shuts down the whole thing. It says something's wrong with this electronic throttle, and we're not going to risk this thing being pegged wide open. So we're shutting po- down power to both motors, even though there's an issue just on one. That throttle control relay feeds power into the ECM for both. Anyways, back to what I'm trying to do here. I'm jumping those potentiometers to the circuits. So those are connected, but my motor is disconnected. And now I'm using two channels on my scope. I am looking at the green wire and the power wire that go to the motor. Again, they're disconnected from the motor and I do my cycling of the key. Well, I find out I have my pulsing to power on my green wire, but I do not have anything going on on the brown wire. Okay. So at least now I know my circuit that I need to look at. And where am I going to go with this? And there's a big harness, and I kind of give it a visual. It goes into the firewall. You know, I don't see anything disrupted, but I'm aware that this is a flood vehicle. So I'm going to go right to the ECM, which is actually under the dash behind the glove box. Okay, so this is in the vehicle. Definitely possible it could have been exposed to a flood or something like that. So pull the panel down, pull the ECM down, and this is when I find the ECM had actually been replaced. Now, this must have been programmed to the vehicle, or at least so I thought, because I didn't have any you know, programming issues or anything like that. Uh, who knows if this was the correct one for the vehicle? That's another question I immediately have as soon as I see that. But again, I'm still thinking flood vehicle, so I disconnect the connector that has the brown and the green wire on it. And I want to give this thing a visual, and this is where I find what's going on. This connector had definitely been exposed to some water. Uh, where this connector is, it's plugged into the PCM behind the glove box, but it's towards the bottom of the vehicle. And there was definitely some water intrusion in this, and it had actually caused some corrosion to the pin on the brown wire, which is one of the control wires for this throttle motor. So uh, what I quick did was I depinned it. Um, I actually had another pin that was very similar at the shop did. So I connected a pin to it that would fit, I put this back together, I connected it, started it up, and the thing actually started and ran and had throttle control with no codes. Now, I showed the shop the connector. I said, hey, you know, this is not a permanent fix. I'm just getting this together to make sure that it's actually going to start. Uh, You know, you need to fix this connector. There's going to be more connectors. The other two PCM connectors looked okay, but the you know, basically I told him you're going to have a lot of issues with this vehicle because it's a flood vehicle. And there was very obviously water intrusion inside of this thing, but, um, they were happy that it started and ran and that was their goal. They just wanted this thing to start and run. And what I was suspecting was true that those throttle plates must have been so far closed, you know, from not running for so long and with no throttle control, they were never actually being activated to open, to move those throttle blades open. And once they did, air was able to enter the engine, it was able to run. We didn't set that code anymore. I would not be surprised in any way, shape, or form if this thing had more codes once it goes down the road. But I didn't actually go out and drive it. But 
and was able to start it, was able to get it to run. Um, and that's all they were looking for. So more to be done on this vehicle. I don't know if I'll be getting into it or if they're going to give it to the customer. Not my concern at the moment, but we did get the thing running. That was the <laughs> that was the main uh, main goal. So uh, hopefully you learned something from this case study. I know I did. Definitely uh, definitely an interesting one for sure. And uh, I like you know kind of working my way through challenges like that. So you know first thing, IPDM was incorrect for the vehicle. Looking for a steering column lock that didn't exist, so it was not operating the starter. Second thing, an open circuit on one of the motor control wires. Uh, was not sending a pulsed power or ground to one side of the motors, shutting down the throttle motor control completely. And since this thing had been sitting for so long, those throttle motors were almost completely closed to the point where it was starving the engine for air. But once we got that circuit fixed, the computer operated the throttles the way it was supposed to, started breathing, started running, and uh, we're, we're good to go, or at least good enough to go for this vehicle. So thanks for listening and uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon.